Now, let's talk sports with Kanoa Leahy on ESPN Honolulu. What's up, everybody? Welcome. It's the Tuesday edition of Let's Talk Sports. Kanoa Leahy here back in studio. It's been a minute, as the kids say today. I actually don't think the kids still say it's been a minute. It's um, it's probably been a minute since the kids have said it's been a minute. But it's been a while since I've been in studio. I uh, was up in California last week uh, covering the Big West Men's Volleyball Championship Tournament. And obviously, it was a celebratory event for University of Hawaii fans. And there were a ton of them up there in Southern California. Brent Event Center, the home arena for University of California, Irvine. My goodness, it was absolutely revamped to become a home facility for the Hawaii volleyball team, uh, especially the semifinal night where Hawaii uh, was going up against UC Santa Barbara. And so it was also a neutral site game uh, for Santa Barbara. They don't have necessarily a huge following of fans that, that travel with them when they venture out onto the road. And so it was basically all Hawaii fans in there, probably somewhere in the 2,000 to 2,500 range. I mean, that's at least what it looked like. It looked like about half of the gym, which seats 5,000 people, uh, half of the gym, dedicated Hawaii fans. Uh, They were wearing green. They were waving around tea leaves. They had Hawaiian flags, signs. It was unbelievable how they effectively co-opted the Brent Event Center and turned this event, despite the fact that this was not being hosted at the Simplify Arena at Stan Sheriff Center, they were able to turn this event, in essence, into a Hawaii-hosted tournament. And even in the championship match against Irvine, the host team, uh, the Hawaii fans outnumbered the Irvine fans uh, by a significant margin. Uh, And it was actually kind of shocking. I was expecting it to be a packed house. There were some empty seats and it just goes to show uh, the fans uh, behind this Hawaii volleyball team and this Hawaii volleyball program, uh, they're cut from a different cloth. This is a different breed of volleyball fan uh, that is attached to this program that comes from these parts. And, yeah, you do have a lot of expatriates, a lot of people who have moved from the islands to Southern California or in areas surrounding there, making it a little bit easier to travel. And so you had some people who live on the continent that attended these games. But it was a huge percentage of fans who were familiar faces because we see them back home. Uh, And so that, to me, was just one of the more standout Um, facets of this experience last week uh, in Irvine, California. And I think you could see how the team played in response to that, right, to that environment and just kind of owning the day and owning the atmosphere there at Brent Event Center. Uh, Just unreal, unreal stuff. And so a big congratulations to the University of Hawaii men's volleyball program. Uh, They punch their automatic ticket into the NCAA tournament, and they were on Selection Sunday given a two-seed. And I know that that rubs some people the wrong way, right? I think a lot of people look at that and they go, all right, so uh, Hawaii is the two-time defending national champ, yet they are the two-seed. Why wouldn't they get the benefit of the doubt and uh, effectively be named the top seed? Well, obviously, RPI uh, speaks volumes. It is the primary criteria for the seeding of the NCAA tournament. And even when it comes to the two at-large berths, uh, it is also a a, a primary criteria. And so uh, there was, I think, a little bit of doubt going into Selection Sunday uh, whether or not Hawaii would even be in the top two seeds because as it stands, 
uh, in the RPI rankings, UCLA is number one, and Penn State is number two. Hawaii coming in at number three. So I think there was a fear that Hawaii would actually still be left out of one of those top two seeding positions. And obviously, when you get into that top two, you get that automatic pass into the semifinal round. It is that important. Uh, but I think, you know, there is a little bit of wiggle room, right? There is a bit of an eye test that the selection committee can kind of lean on. They're limited big time, uh, but I think that 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 eye test, that uh, sort of track record for this team that brought back all their starters from their second national championship run a year ago, uh, that was uh, what helped uh, to tilt the balance scales a little bit uh, and give Hawaii that two seed. So they are sitting in a really, really good position despite not being the number one seed, but sitting in a good position, uh, and they will see uh, the winner of the uh, opening round match between Penn State. They're actually going to await the winner of Ohio State and King uh, out of Tennessee. They're in that play-in match, uh, which is going to be played on the 30th, and then Penn State will play the winner of that. So that should be a pretty good match there, Penn State and Ohio State, and Hawaii will await the winner in the semifinals. To be played May 4th and to a stream on NCAA.com, uh, of course, our own Tiff Wells will be over there uh, in Fairfax, Virginia, uh, to bring you all the radio play-by-play -play as well. So since we're talking about volleyball, I think uh, it's very fitting uh, to welcome to the show. I'm working a little bit alone here today. No guest co-host, uh, but that suits us just fine because we're going to welcome to the show via the phone line uh, one of the top middle attackers in all of men's college volleyball and really a fixture over the course of the last few years uh, for this Hawaii team. Uh, Guilherme Voss joins the show via the phone line. G. Voss, how you doing, my man? Hey, doing good. How about you? I'm doing all right. Thanks for making the time uh, to join us here. Uh, you got a little bit of a break here, a little bit of a layoff between the Big West Conference Tournament and the NCAA Tournament. Uh, how are you guys going to sort of take advantage of this? Do, do you like this opportunity to, to, to get a few days rest, or would you have liked to have just fl uh, flown right over to Fairfax and get things started on the NCAA Tournament? Yeah, I mean, it's nice to get a little bit of time for us to reset before we get into the next round for us to get a better idea of who our opponent's going to be and prepare for them accordingly. We were focused on the Big West, and we like to take our games one at a time. So this time will be good for us. Um, and you get to kind of come back home, sleep in your own bed uh, for a little bit. Uh, how, how much does that help you, just when it comes to recharging the battery, so to speak? Oh, yeah. No, Hawaii is great to us. Not only the support of the people, but, I mean, living in this paradise. Sunday we came back, sunny the entire day. Most of the guys... Took some time, went to the beach hmm. after being in Irvine. It's uh, some well-needed rest. <laughs> We're talking with Guilherme Voss, uh, middle attacker for the Rainbow Warrior volleyball team. And this is a guy who uh, this season hit over 550 offensively, also led the team in blocks, averaging over 1.1 blocks per set. Uh, your numbers have remained consistent throughout your uh, career. Uh, how have you been able to sort of maintain that? How has your approach to the game afforded you the opportunity to be such a reliable contributor in, in all of those facets for this squad? Yeah, it, it goes back to what I mentioned about how we prepare very specifically to what team we're playing against, and especially defensively, that's very important. Just knowing what their bigger weapons are when they rely on them makes defending against them a whole lot easier. So we've always had a really good job done on the scouting end of things, first with Josh and now with Capono. They do a great job of that. And then as well, just knowing that I can trust the ends that are up there with me, be it Jakob, Danny mm -hmm. Spiros, or Chaz. I know that they are also very good bloggers and that no matter what, they'll be there to help us out. 
can you take us through on the outside looking in it it just looks unbelievable the the sort of unspoken communication that seems to occur out there on the floor and i know that there are some calls being shouted out and whatnot but a lot of it does seem to be based on feel can you just take us through you know when Jakob is getting into some of his creative creativity stuff some of the 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 broken plays some of the ad lib plays um can you take us through sort of how you guys go about being able able to still execute uh, certain sets because, uh, you know, Jakob will, will – there was one play I remember a few matches ago where he's like squared up against the net and he gave you just like a quick over-the-shoulder uh, kind of one set and, and you pounded that down. And I just don't understand uh, sometimes watching you guys how easy you make it look and, and, and how that flows. Can you take us through a little bit of that? Yeah, no. Over the years that I've been playing with him, I've built enough trust with him where he knows that if he forces it to me, I'll be ready for it. And when we're in play, sometimes it'll just be a fast, broken play. But as soon as I fall down, I look to where the ball is. And if it's even somewhat playable, I just try to look at Jakob to make eye contact with him, let him know that I'm getting up. Because sometimes on the court, it'll be way too loud to make actual calls. And yeah, a lot of times we'll just, make eye contact he just knows that i'll be up and that's all he needs to know yeah it, it's it's unbelievable and, and you guys have have sort of wowed the crowds of so many times over the course of your careers and, and playing together um does anything that he does still surprise you or or still kind of make you shake your head and go my gosh that was pretty unbelievable yeah i mean the the creativity of it i've wrapped my head around i He's such an incredible player, but it always surprises me the technical difficulty of all these sets that he <laughs> manages to pull off. Just being able to set while falling down, while behind me, while jumping onto the net with one hand, he manages to pull it off every time. Yeah, it's a, it's a really uh, incredible thing to see. And, uh, yeah, we've been blessed being able to uh, watch Jakob Tella uh, as he uh, constructs uh, or, or conducts this offense, and uh, particularly uh, with guys like you uh, as, as part of the arsenal. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, what did you make of – you guys were actually in the air during Selection Sunday uh, when the announcement of the seedings for the NCAA tournament uh, was made. What did you think of getting the two seed? What, were, what was the team's response? I think that we were all relieved. We were pretty much uh, expecting to either be the two or the three seed, meaning that we'd be on the same side of the bracket no matter what. Mm-hmm. So we had a rough idea of who we needed to beat to get to the final. Being in the two or the three seed just would change the amount of games that we had in. But I think that no matter how it ended up, we would have been satisfied with the result. Obviously, being ranked two is better we get to rest a little bit more get to virginia a little later give ourselves more time to prepare was there you know obviously the rpi is is such a primary criteria for this was there uh, any expectation or or even disappointment at the fact that uh, hawaii wasn't given more consideration to be the top overall seed uh, based on uh, past successes and, and and track record yeah i think that in if you were to judge based on past achievements and stuff like that, then yeah, our team would be above and beyond number one. But it's a lot of what we talk about in practice where the things that we've accomplished last year or last year, this year is this year. So this year, all we've accomplished really is 
winning the conference. So as far as that goes, we have a pretty solid team. So does UCLA, so does Penn State, hmm. so does Long Beach, so does a lot of the teams. This year is very balanced. So I, I don't think anyone on our team takes it personally that we didn't get selected as first. UCLA also has a very good team, but we'll prove in the end that we'll come out on top. We're talking with Guilherme Voss, middle attacker for the Rainbow Warrior volleyball team. How does this team feel about itself right now? I mean, you guys are still riding a significant win streak. What is it now, 11 straight matches? And um, seems seems to be that you guys are playing what could be described as your best volleyball of the season right now at the perfect time. Yeah, I, I'd like to think that we always show up when it matters, and we have a group of very experienced players that – know to stay calm and that at the end of the day we've proven time and time again that we're capable of performing at the highest level so when the time comes we'll be there yeah a lot of that i would assume comes out of the chemistry that has been built over time right i mean the fact that there is such stability from last year's roster to this year's roster uh, and you have elements even from the previous year that are still there I mean that helps for sure but this seems to be a team that like genuinely really cares about one another and that was maybe never more so evident than on senior night and uh, you know I I hope I'm not uh, embarrassing you at all because I actually was very touched at the scene seeing you seeing Cole Hoagland a couple of the guys just really get emotional uh, in in what was the symbolic aloha send-off to the seniors uh, on this team and and I just uh, wanted to ask you know if you could give us a a sense as to just how close this team really is. I think that because of how special our class was in the 2020 class and in the 2019 class, we've been building uh, just a sense of togetherness over the years. I've been with uh, Chaz, Demi, Jakob, and Chewy Hogg, et cetera, for four years now on the court, basically. So just having all that time together with your brothers builds up and a lot of teams will have some seniors some juniors some sophomores coming in you don't see a lot of them where it's all fourth and fifth year guys yeah yeah that's uh that is absolutely uh, something that is especially in this day and age of of collegiate sports uh, is a rarity we're talking with g voss guilherme voss a middle attacker for the rainbow warrior volleyball team um I, I wanted to since we have an opportunity to talk with you ask a little bit about uh, your background in the game uh, you hail from rio de janeiro brazil uh, but you did live in texas for six years and and, and along the the path uh, when did volleyball become uh, such a focal point for you athletically yeah, so until I came back from the U.S. initially, when I was 11, I hadn't even tried volleyball at all. But then I got into a little bit of beach volleyball, and by 2014, I transitioned over to indoor while I was living in Rio. And from then on, it's just been constant grind to get better and perform at the highest level. What was it about the game? What what was the switch that sort of went off for you and, and, and gave you that, that vibe? Like, okay, yeah, this is, this is something I can get into. Yeah. I mean, a lot of athletes will have moments where they consider that maybe they should just stop playing, focus their attention on something else. For me, it was probably in 2016, we won the national championships for the club back in Brazil and I got a, an email from the 
who was at the time the coach for the U19 mm. national team, asking me to come and try out for us to play and stuff. And so those four years that I spent with the national team, 2016, 17, 18, 19, they just really helped me grow and evolve in the game and really fall in love with it and see that I had the potential to actually be a professional athlete and make a living out of it. Well, so Hawaii, that just motivated me. That's really great, and Hawaii's definitely benefited from uh, from that uh, uh, passion and connection to the game. Uh, you've also seemingly uh, established a pretty strong passion and connection to this place. You you were one of the guys who spent most of the summer in Hawaii. I believe you were interning with an engineering firm. Um, you know, uh, you have a lot to to kind of focus on here uh, this season with volleyball and certainly in your current studies. But as you sort of ponder down the road a little bit and, and think about what the future may hold. Um, you know, where, where does Hawaii fit into that and what do you see yourself doing? Yeah, no, Hawaii is a little bit of home away from home. It's a perfect mix of having the opportunity after I'm done with volleyball to find work here and live my life here while still retaining a lot of what I consider to be like home where just that feeling of ohana and the great weather here i come from a city where it's beaches waterfalls and hikes and it's absolutely the case here hmm. so i i think just having that feeling of similarity in such a wonderful place is going to be really great for me i hope to play for as long as i can and then Maybe I'll work as an engineer back here in Hawaii, maybe some other place, but we'll see. Yeah, I think you'll uh, be able to find some uh, job opportunities here uh, with uh, <laughs> how much this community uh, has uh, has fallen in love with you for sure. Uh, Guillermo Voss, middle attacker for the University of Hawaii men's volleyball team. Last question. Uh, you have been part of, uh, I think, moments throughout a match that, that really can help to shift momentum, change tones. I'm talking about those stuff blocks, and I'm talking about when you lay the smack down on, on uh, a Jakob Telles set, really just kind of bounce one off the Terraflex. Those seem to be tone change type of moments which do you prefer or which which sort of uh, revs your engine the most when when you solo stuff somebody across the net or, or when you uh, are able to lay lay the lumber into a, a set that comes your way yeah i think that i'm kind of blessed to have such a good setter and play in such a good team where Honestly, it feels more normal than not to be bouncing balls all over <laughs> and seeing people just get amazing kills. But we're playing against such good adversaries that when you're playing against someone such as on Irvine, they had their duo of pin hitters Eno and Sonny. When you can slow one of those guys down and kind of take a little bit of that confidence away, that is just... I feel like it's a lot more impactful for the overall outcome of the match. Yeah, that definitely is a momentum-swinging type of moment. You've been a part of uh, so many of those uh, over the course of time, and uh, hopefully uh, with several more matches uh, to be able to do so here uh, in the upcoming NCAA tournament. Uh, Gee, we appreciate the time, man. Thank you so much. I know you got uh, other things you got to tend to, so uh, just wanted to thank you again for, for having a, an opportunity to talk with us. 
Of course. Thank you for having me. All right. Best of luck the rest of the way. Guilherme Voss, middle attacker for the Rainbow Warrior volleyball team. Uh, we appreciate him uh, spending some time with us. He's a good dude, man. And I think part of the reason why there's just such a feeling of stability with this team. And, and he's one of those guys, right? I, I, you see the emotion of, of these players on the floor uh, when he makes a, a block like what he's talking about, especially against a big-time player on the other side of the net. He mentioned Francesco Sani and Ilir Heno of UC Irvine specifically. And, yeah, those guys are studs, man. And so if Voss is able to to sort of get a stuff block, you know, one of those, like, bang-bang plays that just sets the, the fans uh, in, a, in a rage, uh, that uh, that changes the momentum. That, that steals some of the will a little bit uh, from the other side. And you see some of that emotion come out uh, from Guilherme Voss. But uh, he's just been a fixture and uh, part of the reason uh, why uh, Hawaii has been so good. He's one of those anchors in the middle and uh, a guy who obviously has a bright future not in uh, just in the sport of volleyball and in the game itself, uh, but also, uh, as it sounds like, a guy who uh, will probably be doing some great things in the engineering realm uh, and maybe doing so here. And Lord knows we can always uh, use more of those kinds of minds uh, and uh, and individuals with uh, that kind of skill set uh, and talent. So we appreciate him uh, talking story with us. Uh, UH on the verge of another possible run at a championship. They got this first part of the season. You got like the regular season, you got the postseason, uh, and you got the conference tournament specifically parsed within the postseason, but they got to this part, mission accomplished. Top two seed in the tournament. They get that quarterfinal round by. They're the Big West Conference champs, and so now basically they're two matches away uh, from what I've been terming as a possible 2023 Pete for this program, and how unbelievable would that be? All right, big thanks again to Guilherme Voss. We'll take a break. You're listening to Let's Talk Sports. What's up? Welcome back. Let's Talk Sports. Yeah, it was nothing but a G-thing in that last segment. G. Voss, Guilherme Voss, middle attacker for the Rainbow Warrior Volleyball team, joined us via the phone line. Kanoa Leahy here on this Tuesday, coming to you from the PAXA studios in Honolulu, riding solo here on this particular episode of the show, although I do have now full-time employee Liz Stacy uh, sitting in the room next to me. Uh, yeah, a recent... Uh, promotion for her so a big uh, congratulations goes out to her now liz i believe you actually have um a parking access card now which is like more valuable than anything so you could exciting. ever attain priceless truly. yeah 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 really and uh and uh you know something that uh, <clears throat> uh some of us <clears throat> still have yet to uh, acquire anyway um well, 808 technically same Technically same. I don't have it in my hands yet. Oh, okay. All right. It's coming, though. It's coming. It's part Hopefully. of the deal. All right. Okay. Okay. Uh, 808-296-1420 is the number to call. Appreciate Liz being here, though. Um, all right. So this, uh, again, trip last week to Southern California, uh, it was uh, pretty interesting. First off, it was like a roller coaster ride uh, of emotions uh, for me. Uh, I suffered from what was like this two-day allergy attack upon landing in Southern California. I guess there's been like so much rain in the area. This is sort of the theory. So much rain in the area that, uh, you know, it, it creates a little bit of like, you know, the moldy, mildewy type of conditions but also, you know, when you get into some of the landscaping and some of the shrubbery around the ways and, and it kicks up some of these you know, uh, uh, elements and, and, and things from, from different uh, plumage around. Um, there's things in the air that uh, for some of us who live in the islands 
years, and, and maybe you're not used to some of the drier air uh, over there on the continent, um, it, it affects you. And it really got to me. And I'm not like a huge allergies guy. I don't even really know of anything specifically that I'm allergic to. Um, but there was something that, that got the best of me, and it was like a fire hydrant. Uh, in in the nostrils for like two days, and and I know it sounds disgusting, and it kind of was, but um and and was so bad. I feel so bad for uh, my partner Chris McLaughlin, who I sit next to, uh, doing the broadcast because that first night, Thursday night, the quarterfinal round. We had to do two matches, right? Uh, and the uh, first match, of course, goes five sets. It's uh, UC Santa Barbara and UC San Diego. It goes five sets. It's a marathon battle. Uh, and then we had one more match after that. And the entire time, the entire time, I have no control over the flow uh, of, of uh, you know, of, uh, of, of liquid goodness coming from my nostrils uh, and so I'm like between plays having to like blow my nose and I'm like if I could have cut off my nose at some point in time over the course of that evening I would have just to relieve myself uh, but I imagine it was not like the coolest thing uh, for uh, C-Mac to experience and you know everyone else is also looking at me going like oh my gosh, what's wrong with this guy? And I'm like, it's just allergies. I promise it's just allergies. And I finally was able to get a hold of some Flonase the next day. Got a little uh, Advil cold and sinus in me. And the combination of those two worked wonders. Uh, and I was able to finally uh, get that uh, runny nose and, 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 and sniffly con uh, kind of feeling. I could finally get that to subside and was able to focus a little bit more <laughs> on the task at hand. But big apologies for C-Mac having to endure that uh, throughout the entire first night of matches, but uh, it was a lot of fun that week, and in fact, was able to sprinkle in a little bit of non-Big West Conference volleyball sports as well, uh, because my Mets were in town to play the Dodgers, so Irvine's about an hour away from Los Angeles, and so couple of us from the uh, Spectrum Sports crew that were up there, we went uh, to the Dodgers-Mets game on Wednesday. Uh, and that was the game where Max Scherzer was starting for the Mets and Noah Syndergaard was starting for the Dodgers. Noah Syndergaard, former Mets pitcher. Actually, I saw him pitch when he was in a Met uniform at City Field. Uh, this was a few years ago. Struck out 11. And so I have a, a lot of affection uh, and affinity for Noah Syndergaard, right? His, uh, his nickname is Thor. He kind of looks a little bit uh, like a a uh, Marvel superhero or something like that with the long hair. Anyway, he was dealing uh, in that game, and, and so was Max Scherzer. Um, and so a couple of things. First off, that was the game that Max Scherzer got ejected uh, for what the umpiring crew deemed was a sticky substance on his hand. They checked him uh, leaving the field at the end of one inning, and then when he came back out, they checked his glove again, ruled that his hand was still sticky. They had asked him to uh, wipe off uh, whatever the sticky substance was, which he says was a combination of rods and sweat, uh, and the umpires were not satisfied that he had gotten rid of it enough, and so he got ejected. Uh, also, he was subsequently suspended 10 games. He did not choose to appeal. I think he's very cynical of the Major League Baseball mechanism, and so he decided, you know, what's the use of appealing? It's not going to change anything. Uh, I don't necessarily trust the powers that be within this system uh, to uh, appeal. Pro properly and appropriately allow me to defend myself, and so he's just going to uh, eat the 10-game suspension, which is a little bit different, obviously, for a starting uh, pitcher uh, than it is for an, an everyday player. Uh, but 
you know, this is going to be something that sort of drags his name through the mud a little bit. And, and one of the things that, that struck me about that was in the days following that, in fact, just uh, the other night on Sunday Night Baseball, you had David Cohn, former New York Yankee pitcher, also former Met pitcher, um, and he was on the broadcast, and he did a little experiment uh, because I think that was the, the, the discussion afterwards, right, was the fact that, okay, rosin and sweat, does that actually combine to create that much of a sticky uh, type of feeling on your hand? Uh, and so David Cohn did a little bit of uh, an experiment where he grabbed the rock rosin, the, rog- the rosin bag as it's uh, referred to, uh, and he said, yeah, you put that on your hand, you already create like a little bit of dryness, just a smidge of stickiness. He says, I don't have that much you know, sweat that I'm working with here, but definitely just that light mixture of a little bit of, of moisture and the rosin you know, that does create a little bit of stickiness. And then what was interesting was David Cohn. Uh, this was on, like, live TV, too. David Cohn uh, wiped off his hand with uh, alcohol, with rubbing alcohol, which was what uh, Max Scherzer was asked to do. Uh, and so he did that, and he said after he applied the rubbing alcohol and, and rubbed his hands uh, seemingly clean of whatever the, uh, at, at least the visible rosin residue was, uh, he says his hands were still extremely sticky and went so far as to be able to hold with his top two fingers on the ball, hold the baseball in place without his thumb supporting it on the bottom. It was that sticky. The baseball literally stuck to his fingers. So it seemed to at least that little very, you know, maybe unscientific and unofficial uh, and unsanctioned experiment seemed to kind of appropriately uh, defend Max Scherzer's case in what he was suggesting was not a foreign substance, not an illegal substance, but just the effects of the mixture of rosin and sweat. So, uh, you know, that was a a controversy that obviously without any appeal is is going to run its course, and, and we'll see Max Scherzer are back out there. Uh, the other part of this, though, is that the uh, umpire who ultimately uh, gave him the hook that, that ultimately ejected him from the game, Phil Cousy, uh, this is not a new experience for him either. I think since they started doing these uh, pitcher checks, right, where they're checking their hands and gloves uh, as they are either uh, walking out onto or leaving the field, this is something that went into effect last year, um, or was it uh, 2021, I should say, was when it went to effect. I think there have only been now three pitcher ejections. Uh, maybe there have been a couple of more, but I, I believe I know of three. And in all three instances, you had uh, then Mariners pitcher in 2021, Hector Santiago, um, You uh, also had Diamondbacks pitcher, at least at the time, uh, Caleb Smith, uh, also getting ejected again under the same circumstances. Sticky substance, they claimed it was rosin and sweat. Uh, And Phil Cousy was on the umpiring crew in both of those other instances as well. He seems to be sort of like the ejection guy when it comes to uh, sticky hands and and this now uh, uh, newly established test that Major League Baseball has done since 2021. So that I found uh, interesting as well. Uh, The other observation I had, and this is something that uh, is still kind of in the grand discourse of baseball, is the new rules that have been applied, the pitch clock specifically, and how it's impacting the game. That was my first live Major League Baseball experience with it. And I gotta say, I think the games are too fast. Like, I know that baseball has dragged on, and and especially when you get into the dog days of summer, you don't want to be watching, like, a a four-and-a-half-hour baseball game. You don't want these at-bats to last ten minutes. Like, of course, of course. 
But it kind of feels like an overcorrection because we got to the ballpark. It's L.A. traffic, so we didn't really get to our seats until probably like bottom of the first inning or just as the bottom of the first inning was ending. I think the, the start time for the game was like 12.10. We got to our seats maybe about 12.20, and they were just finishing up the first inning, and we were about to, to get into inning number two. So we grab our concession goods, right, adult beverage. We got our, uh, you know, Dodger Dogs or popcorn or whatever everybody ordered and we sit down and i swear to god 30 minutes go by it's like 12 35 we're in the fourth inning and i'm like what the heck is going on and of course you had a pitcher's duel you had noah Syndergaard and and max scherzer they were both dealing uh but it wasn't really until the ejection of max scherzer which then slowed things up you know created a pause in the game they had to bring in a new pitcher who was able to warm up uh to his uh, satisfaction uh, and so that kind of put a little bit of a slower pace to the game but prior to that it was blazing and i was just thinking and like this wasn't like an experience where i was like you know trying to down 12 beers like maybe somebody who's sitting out in right field is, is trying to do but I was thinking like I'm halfway through my beer and we're in the fourth inning and usually the concession stands close before the seventh inning stretch and that's why Major League Baseball uh, is still pondering and some stadium facilities are asking for permission to be able to extend uh, concession stand sales or particularly beer sales uh, later into the game like maybe into the eighth inning or that kind of thing uh, but it did dawn on me it just it did strike me like I think especially when you go to a baseball game live there kind of feels like there's an expectation that you're just going to be hanging out for a while. Like you're in no rush. That's sort of a, the, a, a space where time can slow down. Uh, time as we understand it and know it, it, it changes a little bit. It's altered and, it's, and it becomes something that is um, uh, more akin to like we're going out uh, on a picnic at the park or at the beach and we don't want to worry about time. We don't want to worry about how fast or slow things go, which is different probably from the experience of watching baseball on TV. Because I think when you're still at home and you're watching on TV, yeah, you don't really are, you're not really equipped or, or necessarily in that mindset uh, to be thinking like, ah, I got all the time in the world. It's all good. When you're at home, you got things to do. When you're at home, you're reminded of, I got, I got chores. I got to do laundry. I got to do this kind of stuff. Uh, and it's a, it's a different kind of experience. But when you go to the ballpark, I just feel like that's a different thing altogether. The approach is different. And it felt like the game was just too fast. Like it was zooming by. And it kind of felt like, all right, I think, I think we may have overcorrected this. And again, it's, it's sort of twofold. Because I think for people that are primarily watching baseball on TV, and this is probably going to be the, I would imagine, uh, if not uh, the only live Major League Baseball game I'll watch all season, one of, of maybe less than a handful for sure. Um, so the majority of my baseball consumption will be on TV as well. Uh, and, and I think it, it is different. It is different when you're watching at home versus when you're at the ballpark. But certainly the ballpark experience unto itself, oh, man. It was uh, it was different, and uh, it felt a little foreign. It didn't feel like baseball, at least uh, traditionally speaking, and uh, the way I, I once knew it and experienced it uh, and consumed it. All right, uh, 808-296-1420 is the number to call. We'll take a break when we come back. I'm going to have uh, Liz Stacy uh, get to work a little bit. She's going to ask me some uh, questions from the good old bucket. You're listening to Let's Talk Sports.
What's up? Welcome back. Let's talk sports. Kanoa Leahy here in the Paxa Studios in Honolulu. Riding solo today, but I got Liz Stacy in the next room. She's running the board, and I'm going to put her, uh, her to work here uh, because uh, she's going to be dipping into the bucket O questions. Uh, before we get to that, though, uh, certainly uh, big props to be given out. Uh, announcement coming within the last hour. Jakob Tella was named the Big West Conference Player of the Year for the second straight year, and Charlie Wade named the Big West Conference Coach of the Year. So both uh, repeat uh, winners of those respective awards, and so well, congrats uh, going out to those two. Very well deserved. I think uh, uh, pretty easy pickings. I think if you uh, if you really just uh, wanted to break it down in that way, uh, when it comes to uh, Jakob and Charlie, uh, they are the standard setters right now in those uh, respective paths. All right, Liz, uh, let's dip into the bucket of questions. What you got for me? All right, we got some good ones. First up, did the Jets overpay <laughs> for Aaron Rodgers? Yeah, so the Aaron Rodgers Jets thing is a thing. Uh, after much speculation, uh, the Jets did ultimately finally uh, pull off the trade to bring Aaron Rodgers into the fold. Uh, the Jets get uh, A-Rod. They also get, uh, basically, they swap first-round picks. Uh, the Jets get the number 15 pick. Packers uh, get the uh, number 13 pick. Uh, 2023 fifth-round pick also goes to the Jets. Uh, the Packers will get, in addition to that uh, 13th pick, uh, 2023 second-round pick, uh, sixth-round pick, uh, 2024 four conditional second round pick that becomes a first rounder if Rodgers plays 65% of the snaps in 2023. Uh, so there are risks here. That, that is a significant amount of trade capital. Uh, and basically, you're trading all of that in order to get the rights to pay, what, $60 million for a 39-year-old quarterback who's coming off of his worst season, although he was an MVP two years ago, but also has had to deal with some injury here in the last couple of years. So it's a lot. Uh, did they overpay? No. And you know why? Because the Jets have actually built a bit of a competitive team around what I would say the loan deficiency is, which is the quarterback position. Uh, and so I think that's an area where they needed to upgrade, right? They were hoping they had big hopes for, for Zach Wilson that hasn't panned out uh, to this point. And so they were in need of an upgrade. And sometimes you got to spend the money in order to establish that level of upgrade and they get a brand name they get Aaron Rodgers and you know draft capital is interesting because it's very sort of ambiguous and amorphous right you don't know what draft pick is going to actually uh, parlay into something special uh, we always seem to value this like thing that doesn't yet exist like this draft capital this pick that's coming up in 2026 or 2027 it could be magical but it's not anything right it's almost like a bird in the hand type of adage where what is what good is draft capital if it's not anything tangible when you could have on the other side Aaron Rodgers. And yeah, there are going to be some doubts. There are going to be some some skeptics out there for sure. Uh, but the Jets are going all in and they're going all in to try to win a Super Bowl now. And I've always been a believer in that. Uh, when you have pieces, when you believe in some of the, the assets that you currently have, the tangible assets I'm talking about in terms of players on the roster, um, you try to win now. You don't try to kick the can down the road and hope in five years it'll be our time, that'll be our window. No, you, you go for it now, and I appreciate what the Jets are trying to do, and uh, you know, there's going to be no more valuable free agent under these circumstances, or, or at least available quarterback, uh, not free agent, but available quarterback uh, than Aaron Rodgers. So uh, they went all in, and that's what you got to do. All right, what's next? More impressed by Jimmy Butler or LeBron James last night? Oh, yeah. Jimmy Butler drops 56 
for the Miami Heat uh, in a win over the Milwaukee Bucks that puts them up 3-1 in the series. The Lakers get a 22-20 game from LeBron James as they go up 3-1 on the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, the more impressive game, obviously, is 56 because a 50-burger is more impressive even than 20 rebounds. But it's the first time that LeBron has had a 20-rebound game in his career. It's the first Laker 20-20 uh, and 20 game since Shaq. Uh, and so, yeah, that's, uh, that's impressive stuff. I think both of them in their own rights uh, are impressive. I would say that the more impressive game clearly is Jimmy Butler just as an individual performance. Uh, but when you add in the circumstances, right, LeBron and some of the clutch buckets that he had to make uh, and going up against a team of younger, fresher legs on a night where AD Anthony Davis was again just subpar and nothing very impressive and seemed to be getting outplayed by like third string post players for the Memphis Grizzlies and LeBron had to still do his thing. I would say under those circumstances, uh, it's kind of a pick 'em as to what is is more impressive. Uh, what would have been the most impressive ending maybe to a basketball game of all time? is if there was like a half a second or so longer on the clock at the end of regulation in that Grizzlies-Lakers game because when Anthony Davis blocked John Morant's jump shot, LeBron got the loose ball, turned around and flicked it like three-quarter court swish, which would have been the game winner, but it came after the buzzer. And if that somehow was the way that game ended, that would have been one of the all-time greatest finishes in the history of basketball, maybe even all of sports, but uh, they would end up pulling it out in OT. I think the thing that is concerning to me about Jimmy Butler, last thing I'll say about that uh, is it was a phenomenal performance and he is so incredible, but it just kind of, I think, adds further legitimacy and credibility to the idea of regular season load management, which has become such a problem for the NBA, right? And this idea that the regular season has been devalued. Jimmy Butler has become kind of the poster child for that. Right. And I think this performance kind of proves it. This isn't regular season Jimmy. This is the Jimmy Butler you get regularly in the postseason. Uh, and I think that you can look at the way that he sits out a lot of games during the regular season, uh, the way that he seems to be conserving himself for the postseason. It just adds credibility to the idea that load management can work and that it is worth it from the team or franchise's vantage point. And the fans are happy about it, right? They're happy to see the Miami Heat in a position to possibly advance against the top seed uh, in the Eastern Conference. Uh, but what about during the regular season, those fans that are paying money to see Jimmy Butler or somebody of that ilk uh, play in person for the first time, maybe only time ever? Uh, and that's just going to add to this whole notion of how valuable or, or unvaluable is the regular season. Um, that's my concern uh, by the fact that Jimmy Butler played so dang good uh, in that game. All right, we're up against the commercial break. Uh, we'll see if we can squeeze in another one on the other side. You're listening to Let's Talk Sports. All right, welcome back. Let's talk sports. we got about two and a half minutes there and about. Uh, we're going to end with our best and worst here, but uh, let's dip into the bucket of questions one more time because we only got to two. So, uh, Liz, is, uh, is there one more you can uh, set me up here with? Is Dylan Brooks the worst sports villain ever? <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Had to uh, make that one. Yeah, yeah, that one needed to get in there. Uh, I, I would, I would say he is, if not the worst, one of the worst. And what makes it such a clown show? Uh, is the fact that he does all of that trash talking, right? Which is just in poor taste. It's just a bad idea. Anybody that sort of tried to step up to one of the legends in that loudmouth way has always gotten burned, right? What was it? Reuben Patterson said he was the Kobe stopper, and then Kobe torched him. I think Gerald Wilkins called him. 
called himself the Jordan stopper, and he got torched. And so here's Dylan Brooks. He's calling out LeBron James, calling him old and all that stuff. Uh, and then, you know, LeBron basically embarrasses him. Uh, he called himself uh, – he says he pokes bears. Apparently he pokes bears in the crotch because that's what he did in game three, and he would end up getting ejected from the game. And it's just like – and then the worst thing is he doesn't even talk to media after. So after all of that stuff, after all of that jaw-flapping – then you don't even talk to the media after to take your medicine when you get a couple of L's. Like, yeah, that's 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 a clown show. He's if he were a uh, movie villain, like a superhero or comic book movie villain, he'd be the Jared Leto version of the Joker. Uh, and I think that fits because it's a clown show. All right, time now for our best and worst. Uh, for my best here to end this show. Uh, first off, uh, wanted to uh, congrats Liz Stacy again on full time status. I think that's pretty awesome. Uh, another one though that I wanted to get to was. Uh, Tottenham Hotspurs, the soccer team, uh, their players have uh, announced that they're going to refund fans' uh, ticket costs after an embarrassing performance on the road. They lost at Newcastle 6-1, and so the players put out a statement and said that they're going to uh, basically reimburse uh, their fans who traveled to go to the games uh, because of the poor performance. And imagine if that becomes a trend in all the sports. That would be a game changer. Uh, my worst, uh, the Twitter accounts that have been moving the betting odds for Will Levis, Kentucky quarterback, to actually being the number one draft pick uh, in this upcoming NFL draft, uh, they are there are accounts that are suggesting that they have spoken directly with people uh, that are saying that the Panthers are going to take Will Levis. The problem is you can't trust Twitter now. You can't trust the blue check mark. It's become a thing that doesn't exist. Uh, and so who knows if these accounts are legit or not, but they are directly affecting the betting odds when it comes to the NFL draft uh, and also maybe setting up uh, a situation where Will Levis maybe gets uh, disappointed. Uh, we're not really sure what to believe. Of course, this is a time where everyone lies anyway when it's NFL draft time. So, uh, yeah, that's my worst because Twitter just continues uh, to just be this um, ocean of randomness, uh, none of which makes really any sense or holds any actual water. All right, that's it for us. Thanks once again for Guillermo Voss for joining uh, via the phone line. See you tomorrow, everybody.